0: Well, we're going to continue going through uh, the Gospel of Luke in our series through that book of the Bible. Uh, And if you're visiting with us, I always feel it's important that I clue you in. What we do largely is preach through books of the Bible. We believe from Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible is God's Word. And therefore, it's important that we look at it fully, as fully as we're able. And so we try not to skip over passages or skip around for fear that we will skip over some of God's counsel to us. And so we find ourselves in Luke chapter 18 today, as we continue to move through that gospel. I entitled this message, How to Keep Praying, because Jesus is going to talk about prayer here. You might read the first verse in today's passage, and you might think, you might be tempted to think, well, okay, I can just skip ahead. I don't need to read any more of this passage. I I can just get get along in my Bible reading. I'm falling behind, so I can just move forward. You could be tempted to think that way. And I say that because Luke prefaces the story, which Jesus tells by first sharing its point. He says, this is what Jesus was saying when he told this story. This is what he was teaching when he told this story. Uh, Look at how he introduces it. The story, Luke says, And Jesus told them a parable to the effect or to make the point that they always or that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And you think, well, okay. I just need to remember to pray regularly. Keep my head up. Keep on following the Lord. I'll be good if I do that. To to follow through, to persevere. And if I do that, I'm good. I'm okay. Okay. We could be tempted to think that way, except that Christianity, following Jesus, is not a list of to-dos. It's not simply a goal to shoot for. And if we think that way, move too quickly through this passage, what we're going to miss is how we can do this very thing. How we can keep on praying. How we cannot lose heart in a fallen world. The how is in this story. And we don't want to miss that. Friends, knowing what we should do is one thing. But knowing how to get there is quite a different thing. And so we don't want to miss that how this morning. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 18 verses 1 through 8. And we're going to try to figure out this how. Try to understand what God's teaching us. What Jesus is teaching us about how we are to pray. And how we are to not lose heart in the midst of a a fallen, sinful world. So let me read Luke 18, verse 1 to verse 8. You can read along silently with me. And then after we're done reading God's word, we're going to pray that indeed today, not Jason Abbott, but God would be our teacher. That we'd hear his voice. He'd be instructing us and encouraging us through the exposition of his word. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, hear the word of God. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now here, Jesus stops the story and begins to teach from it. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for it. And I'll invite you now to bow your heads in prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart on this passage this past couple of weeks will be acceptable in your sight. We pray that you would open our ears and that you would soften our hearts and prepare us to receive your instruction to hear your voice through the preaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name that we offer up these prayers. Amen. Well, Jesus teaches us to keep on praying, like I said before, teaches us to not lose heart through his short story, but to do it, to to figure out the how, we have to know two things. So here's our outline for today, the two things we got to know. This is the how. First, we must know God. We have to get to know intimately our God. We must trust him. And second, we must know God's goal. We must know His purpose. We must trust where He's taking us, what He's doing with us, and what He's doing with creation. So we got to know God, and we got to know God's goal. Those are the two things that we must know. Let's start with knowing God. Uh, in in parenting, in parenting, okay. You know I've got five kids, I have a wonderful wife, but in parenting, Natalie, my wife, and I can be a lot like the unjust judge, and our five kids like the nagging widow. Notice I said nagging, not persistent here, they nag. And uh, now they often drift into selfish and insensitive judgments because of their pestering nature you're a parent, then I know you know what I'm talking about. You're probably looking down at the ground right now because you feel convicted. You do this very same thing, right? You get hit with a machine gun of can I requests. Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I? And you just immediately start to say no. You don't think about what they're asking for. You just say no. It's for self-preservation. You can't handle it anymore. No, no, no. Can I have a snack? No. No. Can I watch a show? No. Can I paint the car pink? No. Can I memorize the book of Romans? No. (laughs) You're not thinking about what you're saying no to. You're not thinking about the request. You hit overload and you simply say no to whatever they ask. You're not a just judge. You're not thinking about what's good. You just want them to go away. Can I get an amen from parents? I know you know what I'm talking about right now. You all know exactly what that's like. However, other times, other times my kids play at the persistent widow, don't they? Our kids do this. Yeah. I think it's on purpose. I think it's calculated. I think it's strategic when they do this. Right? Like they're in some dark, dimly lit room, smoking cigars and laying out their pernicious schemes against me and my wife. They do this, and then they come at intervals against us with the same request. And finally, we just give in. Can you hear our resignation? You can probably hear our resignation in the unjust judge from this passage, right? We say something like this. Though we neither have money nor resources, yet because these five children keep bothering us, we will buy them a Siberian tiger <laughs> for a pet. Or else they will beat us down by their continual coming. Now, we, we know what this feels like as parents, don't we? And if we're children, we know what it's like to need something that only your parent can give. We just give in. We just give in. We just play at the unjust judge and the persistent widow. And what's strange here is this is the type of interaction, this is the story that Jesus tells in order to encourage us to pray to God and to not lose heart. That's strange. It would be easy for us to wrongly get the idea that what Jesus is saying here, and remember, I said, This is the wrong idea. We could think that what's being taught here is if I just badger God enough, he will eventually give in. He will give me what I want. I just need to pray enough times, right? Wear him out, and he'll say yes. But nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, that's the exact opposite lesson that Jesus is teaching. Jesus is contrasting this unjust judge with our God, with our heavenly Father. He's saying they are nothing alike. And because they're nothing alike, we can have confidence that God hears us and that he will answer. That he is a a just judge, not an unjust judge. Uh, The story is an example of an if-then teaching. An if-then teaching. The the logic is something like this. If even, if even this scoundrel of a judge eventually is worn down and gives justice, right? An unjust judge is, is eventually worn down and he just does what's right because he can't hold out any longer. If even an unjust judge would do that, then how much more will a gracious, loving, just Heavenly Father, who hears your requests, every single one of them, how much more will he answer and be merciful and grant what is best for you? It's an if-then story. It's not that we should look at the unjust judge's interaction with this persistent widow and say, ah, that's how we should behave. No, we should see it and say, if she can get justice, certainly we, as children of the Father, The God of creation, we will receive justice. We will receive an answer to our prayers. We can bank on it. Notice something here. And this could be the most important thing that you're going to hear today. It's really important that you get this through your head, so listen up. Jesus wants you to learn to keep on praying and to not lose heart. That's what Luke tells us in verse 1. But how are you going to do that in a world where injustice so often reigns? How are you going to continue to pray and not lose heart in a world where it seems like God never hears our prayers? That when we pray for good things, he doesn't answer. How are you going to pray always and not lose heart in a fallen, sinful, created place? Jesus, here, through this story, says, this is how. Get to know your Heavenly Father. Get to know God's character. Who He is. Intimately. You can trust God. You can know that He hears. You can know that He's powerful enough to answer. You can know He has your best interests in mind. Get to know your God. And when you do that, you'll continue to pray. Because you trust Him. You see that He is good. When you do that, you won't lose hope. Because you know He has grand purposes for His creation. Glorious purposes for you. You'll keep on praying. You won't lose heart when you know God. There's an older Saturday Saturday Night Live skit with Sally Field and Phil Hartman. I think it's from the 90s. It was one of my favorite from when I was in college, favorites. Anyway, Field portrays this housewife in the sketch and she prays literally about everything, like her baked goods, her daughter's test she's taking at school, her husband's meeting, her soap opera. She prays about everything. And so like in a 30-second portion of this sketch, you see her just praying and praying and praying and taking moments to pray. And then halfway through the sketch, Hartman shows up. He's playing Jesus. And he's there to, to try to gently tell her, you know, if you didn't pray so much, it might be better. If you could just confine your prayers to like the more important things. And it just crushes Sally Field just crushes her. It's it's obvious from the sketch that the idea is that she's wearing Jesus out. That her constant praying is too much for him and he can't handle it anymore. He's annoyed with her. And it's funny. It's It's a funny sketch. But it couldn't be further from the point that Jesus is making in this very passage. About prayer and about our God. It pleases our heavenly Father when his children run to him in prayer. We cannot wear God out. In fact, we're probably in more danger of not praying about enough things than we are of praying for too many things. In other words, I think God just thinks it's wonderful when his children run to him with prayers about small stuff and about big stuff. My mother-in-law, it's a family joke, but my mother-in-law, I hope she's not listening to this sermon right now, Or I guess she wouldn't right now. We're going to have to edit this out, Jeremy. All right? My mother-in-law, we joke, always prays about parking spots. So we, like, drive into a big parking lot. She starts praying about a parking spot. And we, we mock her a little bit, and we think it's silly, and we laugh. But she believes that the Lord is sovereign over everything. He can give her a parking spot, and quite frankly, a lot of times she gets the best parking spots. Maybe I should start praying about parking spots. But you see, that doesn't annoy God. If we're praying for the smallest things and the biggest things, God is pleased. Because through little faith or great faith, God is constantly working on us to craft us into the image of Christ Jesus. He's working on us through our prayers. He wants us to come to him in prayer. That's good news. When I call my dad, out of habit, I always say, is this a good time to talk? I say that to my father. And without a fail, he always says, Jason, it's always a good time to talk to you. And he means it. He means it. He loves it when I call him. He loves to give me his ear. He loves to weigh in on whatever situation I'm dealing with. I have a father who loves me deeply. And I could never wear out with my calls. Because he wants to be there for me. And care for me. And if that's true of my earthly father. How much more of our heavenly father. Oh he loves it when you run to him in prayer. He hears you. He wants you to come more and more into his presence and unburden your heart. In Habits of Grace, David Mathis expresses this beautiful, encouraging truth in the following way, and I thought I'd just share it with you. He says, such a pervasive call to prayer as we see in the New Testament is not the stuff of impersonal achievement and raw discipline. Our works, okay? That's what he's saying there. You don't... You don't become a better person at prayer by working really hard at it. But it comes from intimate relationship, knowing our God, knowing him. It has underneath it not an iron human will, but an extraordinarily attentive divine father who is eager to give good things to those who ask him. Not only is he a father who reveals his bounty in words, and knows what you need before you ask him but he wants you to ask he wants to interact he means to have us not in a hypothetical relationship but in reality he's even more ready to hear us than we are to pray do you believe that about god that he's even more ready to hear you than you are to pray Believe it. It is true. He loves you. He cares for you. His character is beautiful. Get to know God's character. Get to know Him. When Jesus encourages us to keep on praying, when Jesus encourages us to not lose heart, He does so by revealing the character of God the Father. That's the key. That's the answer to continuous prayer. To not giving up. Knowing the heart of God is the key to becoming men and women of constant prayer. And these two feed off of one another, don't they? Begin to know God and you will pray. And then as you pray, you will begin more and more to know God. It's like a snowball. It just keeps growing. It is one of the primary sanctifying ways that God works in our lives. Come to know me and you will be transformed and you will pray. You will run to me in prayer. And through that prayer, I will transform you more and more into my image. You will know me better and better. You will behave more and more like me. Well, before we move on, let me just say, I I know what it's like to have a struggling prayer life. I feel like my life of prayer is lifeless, like is mundane and it's weak. And I know what that's like. And maybe you have felt that as well. And you're wondering, how can I reinvigorate my life of prayer? How, how can I become more and more like Christ Jesus in praying? How, how can I come to know God more and more? And by knowing God, pray to him with more excitement and joy and then be transformed through that. If you're wondering, How to do that. There are countless resources. You go into a Christian bookstore, there's probably too many resources to count. And so, as a pastor, I thought I would share three that I actually would say, hey, these are good. Right? Because, practically speaking, it might be helpful to have a resource. So that you can get to know God better. So you can see what it means to pray more deeply. So I'm going to just, don't worry, I'm not getting royalties on any of these, so... This is not like a shameless book plug. we will start with Habits of Grace. I mentioned that earlier. It's got a section on prayer. It's very practical. Ways to just practically structure your prayer life so that it doesn't become mundane, so that you keep the right focus, so that you can grow in your knowledge of God and then grow in your desire to pray. So I'm going to leave these books up here after the service. This is the warning before I introduce the next two. If you take my books, I will hunt you down. And I will unleash my five children on you. All right? You do not want that. So you can come look at them, write down the title, but then you've got to go get your own book. Okay. Habits of Grace. The second one, The Heart of Prayer by Jaron Bars. Great book. What Bars does in this book is he looks at the prayers of Jesus. What the Bible says about how Jesus prays. What he says about prayer. And throughout the book, he... He crafts an understanding of prayer through that lens of Christ Jesus, and and I I know Jaron Bars personally. Uh, he was I worked with him at seminary in St. Louis, and uh, I can just tell you right now, this is a godly man of prayer. Uh, he's not just theoretically talking about this stuff. This is stuff he practices. So the Heart of Prayer is another book, and then there's this one. Natalie and I got this in college. It was one of the best. Gifts that we ever received. It was through our campus ministry. It's called a handbook to prayer. Praying scripture back to God. Duh. Like we, we don't think about doing that. But that's what we should be doing. Praying scripture back to God. Getting into his word. And then incorporating his word into our prayers. This is an excellent guide in doing that. So you're praying in alignment with God's will. It's a beautiful thing. So that book is here too. You can look at those. Again, remember the warning I gave you. My five children are relentless. You do not want anything to do with them if you take one of my books. Let's move on. This brings us to the second thing we must know, that we have to know if we're going to keep on praying and not lose heart, namely that we must know God's goal. We got to know where this thing is going, where we're headed, right? What's the end? We've got to know God's goal. Verse 6, 7, and 8 in the passages where I see this. Uh, This story is told in a section where Jesus is teaching about what's to come. Jesus is looking at the future of things, and he's saying, this is where the world is headed. These are God's plans. It's a big theological word called eschatology end times, and Jesus is talking about the end times here, and so remember that last week, Ben Bechtel described how our views of the future determine how we'll live in the present, and the same is actually true of prayer. What we believe is coming, what we believe is down the road in the future, what we believe God is doing will inform the way that we pray right now. And so we need to know God's goal. Look at these verses with me again. Let's refresh our memory on what Jesus says here. Verse 6, 7, and 8. He says, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? Notice first, foundationally, primarily. Jesus is saying here, when you pray, God will answer. Don't miss that. You can get caught up in some of the other details and you can miss that point because at the very basic level, what Jesus is making sure his followers know is that when you run to God in prayer, he hears you and he will answer. Now, it may not be how you think he should answer. God's ways are higher than our ways. He's got bigger plans. He knows what's best for us. He may not answer in the way that you think he should answer, But Jesus is saying he will answer. He will give justice. So don't miss that. You can count on that. But what's hard for us to understand from these verses, these three verses, is the timing. The timing is super difficult for us. We want to know when God will deliver justice, don't we? Uh, Jesus tells us here that it will be delivered speedily to his people. But if we're being honest, we don't feel like it's happening in a speedy fashion. We don't feel like it's happening quick enough, do we? I mean, you must feel this way sometimes. There's a, a school shooting and you wonder, why didn't God just intervene and stop it? Or, or war crimes are committed in Syria Probably going to go unpunished. And you think, why isn't God intervening? How can he let this go on? Or someone you love dies. Or you you hear about a rape. Or whatever the evil is. Things happen and you think to yourself, how could God allow that to happen? Where's the justice? Where's the speed? Why not now? For we're being honest, we ask those questions. We think about those kinds of things. And if you're feeling that tension, let me just say right now, you're feeling a biblical tension. And this isn't new to you. This isn't new to me. In fact, God introduces this in the Bible. He introduces the tension. This fall, we're going to look at the book of Job. Well, that tension runs throughout the book of Job. You see, we have to ask ourselves about the timing, about what's going on. God doesn't try to sidestep the tension. He takes aim at it, and he says, let's deal with this. Let's ask these questions. He says, cry out to me, how long, O Lord, will injustice reign? Cry out to me. He wants you to cry out. He wants you to sing in unison with the Apostle John in Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus. Come now. But he also tells us his timing is right. And he knows what's best for us. He doesn't want us to merely want life in a fallen world. He doesn't want us to be okay with what's going on. The status quo here and now. He wants us to want what's better. So we need to be a people who want justice and want it now. So we ask, why does God continue to delay? Why hasn't Jesus returned? Well, the apostle Peter actually deals with this in the New Testament with a local church. This question, again, it's not new. And this is what the Holy Spirit inspired him to write to that church for us. 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 9 why the delay peter says the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance that's why the delay mercy grace good news that's why the Lord God hates school shootings more than you do. God hates war and all the atrocious crimes committed in wars more than you do. He hates death and rape and evil way more than you do. And yet he puts up with all of these things for a time so that his mercy can be extended Across the globe, through all time, to every single sinner, every single perpetrator of one of these heinous kinds of crimes, just like you and I, can receive mercy and grace. And until the last person receives his mercy and grace, who will turn and repent, he will not bring his final justice. This is a delay of mercy, Peter tells us. You may not like that. But that's the biblical reality. And if this is the Lord's goal to extend grace and mercy to sinners through faith in Christ, and only then after all who turn and have justice, right, the justice that was done on the cross for them, turn, repent, receive Christ, only when the last person is coming, if that's God's plan for creation, if that's the end, if that's his purpose, then we have to ask, are we praying in alignment with his purposes? You need to ask yourself these questions. Am I praying for lost people? God is not ushering in his final justice because he wants to save sinners. Are you praying for sinners that you know? Lost people who don't know Christ. And are you working to share the gospel with them? I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. I'm saying this because this is part of what God is charging us to do as His church. Are you doing it? You need to ask yourself, am I willing to endure what's ugly and evil in order to pursue lost people and work with God for their salvation? If that's how God behaves, if he endures what's ugly to him, that he hates more than you do, he endures it for mercy's sake, are we doing the same thing? Are we willing to endure difficulties, hardships, suffering, so that the gospel can go out? We have to ask ourselves hard questions. Otherwise, I think we're buying into the status quo of a fallen world. It's okay if Jesus doesn't come back. Maybe it'd be better if he came back at the end of my life. Or maybe when I'm just not having as much fun as I'm having right now. (laughs) Friends, be careful. Be careful. We need to reorient ourselves according to the word of God according to the gospel purposes of God, according to his character and his ends. Well, the last line of today's text is an unsettling line. There Jesus asks, this is my paraphrase, when I return, when I come back, am I going to find faithful people on earth? Am I going to find men and women who are continuing to pray faithfully? Am I going to find men and women who, who have not lost hope, And have set their sights on my ultimate purposes. Am I going to find any? That's the unsettling last line of this passage. It's unsettling for us because it makes us reflect on our commitment to Christ. I mean immediately I'm thinking to myself. Is is he talking to me? The answer is yes. If you ask yourself is he talking to you? The answer is yes. He's posing this question to us in scripture. So that we will ask it am I going to persevere? Am I going to follow Christ to the end? Does he think I'm not? Is that why he's asking this question? Let me just say right now, if you're unsettled, as I am, by that question, it likely means you have a soft heart. You have a sensitive heart. And I can tell you right now, you cannot give yourself a sensitive heart. You cannot give yourself a soft heart. Only God can do that. Only the Holy Spirit's work in you can make your heart sensitive and soft. So if you feel unsettled by that question then set your sights on God, align yourself with his purposes, direct your prayers to him, get to know him, pray consistently, regularly with an eye on what he's doing. Don't lose hope because he who began a good work in you will see that work to completion. If your heart is softened today, pray, Lord, continue to work Jesus Christ into my life. Continue to sanctify me. Continue to draw me to yourself. He will answer Amen. Amen. Let me pray that we'd be a congregation of people who are praying, who are keeping the hope of the gospel before us, and who are softening our hearts to God's work in our lives. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that the words that you wanted us to hear, the things that you wanted us to take away from this message would lodge themselves in our hearts and our minds. And may we be a people who are being transformed into the likeness of our Savior. Root out apathy, Lord. Root out temptations to follow the ways of this world. Root out hopelessness. Make us a prayerful people and make us a people who set their eyes upon you. Amen.